Good morning, everybody. So this morning uh, we're going to be talking about Jesus, which is a great subject because he's a great guy. He's the King of Kings and he's the Lord of Lords and he's our Saviour and he's the lover of our souls and we love him, don't we? Thanks be to God. So today as we think through Jesus, let me just give a couple of hints before I get going. Uh, first of all, part way through, there will be a little clip come up. Um, I haven't lost the plot, it is part of the sermon, all right? Uh, then I'll keep going for a bit, and then we'll have communion, and then I'll come back and keep going for a bit more, and then there's a, a bit of a, a hands-on demonstration of what I'm trying to say. So at the end of the whole time, our beloved welcomers will be handing out some little sheets. They're not homework, but they are reminders of what we're trying to do today. Quite a lot to take in, isn't there? Um, it should become apparent as we're going along. Our, our topic today is Jesus the servant. Jesus the servant. Noel Richards wrote a fantastic song, didn't he, about Jesus being the servant. He said this, You laid aside your majesty, gave up everything for me, suffered at the hands of those you had created. You took all my guilt and shame when you died and rose again. Now today you reign in heaven and earth exalted. I really want to worship you, my Lord. You have won my heart and I am yours. In contrast to that humble song, and it is a humble song from Philippians really, I want to read something from Mark chapter 10. And it says this, there will be two slides with this on. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over to Jesus and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we, we want us to do, we want you to do us a favour. Well, what's your request, he asked. Well, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honour next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptised with the baptism I'm suffering and I must be baptised with? Oh yes, they said. Oh yes, we, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from the bitter cup and be baptised with the baptism of suffering, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. It says that when the other disciples heard what James and John had asked them, they were indignant. I should think they were. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people 
and officials flaunt their authority over those uh, under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be your leader must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you know, in Matthew's account of that same incident in chapter 20 of Matthew, James and John actually asked their mum to ask Jesus if they could sit on the left or the right. When you need something really important, you have to ask your mum, don't you? So they asked their mum to ask Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Did they believe that their role of, of being associates of Jesus, did they believe that that conferred status on them, power on them? Just a question. And then in contrast to what James and John were asking Jesus from Philippians 2, though Jesus was God, he did not consider equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a servant and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, in the light of that, God elevated him to the place of highest honour and gave him the name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. On our TVs, there is a long-running running quiz show called A Question of Sport. And I know the guys up here are not the right people now, are they? They've been removed, um, replaced. But it'll do for now. You, you probably, most of you will know what I mean. And there's a round in, in that uh, question of sport called Mystery Guest, where the teams have to identify a famous athlete um, on the basis of a 30-second video. And the sports person is often in disguise, total disguise. It might be that they're like dressed up as a cowboy. Um, uh, they've got a hat low over their eyes, a big um, cloth over their face. Um, and you have to try and, and guess who they are because the filming of the character is often taken at unusual angles um, that hides their face or features partly. And the task is to name the mystery guest. Are you with me? I know it's cold. I know it is. Just see if you can come with. Are you with me? Yes. Thank you. Right. Okay. So, the prophet Isaiah has his own mystery guest. And we've been looking at that mystery guest over the last few weeks, haven't we? Isaiah chapters 40 right through to 55. Excuse me. 
reveals that the Holy One of Israel is going to achieve the hope, the grace, the restoration that is promised throughout the first 39 chapters of Isaiah. And it talks about, well, it doesn't say mystery guest, but it puts it in a mystery form. It says there is a servant of the Lord coming. And by way of those first, well, those four servant songs that you discover in Isaiah, uh, he communicates different aspects of the servant's identity, giving hints of who this might be. In Isaiah 42, he is a spirit-filled servant. In Isaiah 49, he is a prophet. In Isaiah 50, he's obedient. In Isaiah 53, he is a substitute. We could perhaps put those things more succinctly. We could say Jesus is the shepherd king. Jesus is the suffering king. Jesus is the servant king today. And Jesus is the saviour king. Notice that I've given the trick away. The mystery guest is Jesus. Hallelujah. So our Lord Jesus laid aside his majesty in order to serve humanity. His death is the supreme example of servanthood, the fulfilling of the will of God, his Father. Don't you find that overwhelming? That Jesus gave up his deity, his godness, and took on the form of a human being to serve. Henri Nguyen wrote, Our God is a servant God. It is difficult for us to comprehend that we are liberated by someone who became powerless. That we are being strengthened by someone who became weak. That we find hope in someone who divested himself of all distinctions. And that we find a leader in someone who became a servant. Try to imagine sitting in the same room as these next words come. They come from Jesus, but imagine they're spoken directly to you, to me. Here it comes. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything that the father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and bear fruit, produce lasting fruit so that the father will give whatever you ask for using my name this is my command love each other have a listen to this so now we know how to be servants or do we or do we so if we temporarily forget how to love or to love and just do our selfish thing but then realise and repent. There's a wonderful comforting verse that comes in Matthew 12. It says this, My servant will not crush a bruised reed 
or quench a smouldering wick. But in modern English it says, I won't walk over anyone's feelings and I won't push you into a corner. One commentator explored Jesus' servanthood. And you'll notice today we're, we're trying to oscillate between Jesus being the servant and us being servants of Jesus. One commentator said this, Does this belittle the risen Christ to say that he was and ever will be a servant of his people? It would if servant meant one who takes orders or if we thought we were his masters. Yes, that would dishonour him. But it does not dishonour him to say that we are weak and need his help. It does not dishonour him to say that he is the only one who can service us with what we need the most. It does not dishonour him to say that he is the inexhaustible spring of love. And that the more he helps us, and the more we depend on his service, the more amazing his resources appear. Therefore we can confidently say, Jesus Christ is alive to serve. He is alive to save. He is alive to give. And he's thrilled to be this way. And he's not burdened down with our cares. He thrives on burden-bearing, not burden-giving. He takes pleasure in those who hope in his steadfast love. His eyes run to and fro throughout the earth to give, strong to support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. Our Lord Jesus is exuberant with omnipotent service for the sake of all who trust him. Not only was he the servant of all his people while he lived on earth, but he will be the servant of all when he comes again. Did you know that? See, if you come to our life group on Tuesday, we're going to be talking about Jesus coming again. And there's a tremendous verse that says, it's in Luke chapter 12, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them when he comes again. Wow. I thought when he comes again, there'll be thunder and lightning and disaster and chaos and magnificence and splendor and singing and glory. Jesus gave that as a picture of what he will do on his return. Servanthood ministries always require two things, a willing heart and spirit to serve and people to demonstrate it to. And because Jesus reminded us that the poor you will always have among you will never run out of folk to serve. Brilliant. Within our title this morning, I wanted to include verses from Matthew 25. When I very first was given this uh, topic, immediately Matthew 25 came to mind, where it talks about, very graphically, him uh, speaking about sheep and goats. He speaks about being hungry and then being fed. 
about being naked and being clothed, about being sick and being visited, about being a stranger and being visited and welcomed, and about being in prison and receiving visitors. Do you know that section of Matthew 25? It's an amazing section. And as Jesus told it, he explained what the kingdom of heaven will be like and what it will be like when he comes again in glory with his angels and sits on his glorious throne. There will be those who want to argue, unfortunately, and contradict and challenge what Jesus is saying. They will say, so when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you naked and and we clothed you? When did we see you sick and we visited you? When was you a stranger and we welcomed you? And in prison and receiving visitors? When did all that? And Jesus answers, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me true servanthood ministry. Let's let that hang in the air while we let Ben lead us into communion. So I want to finish uh, our sermon today with really, I think, probably the most profound scripture that there is on Jesus being servant. Um, It comes from John chapter 13. And I want to give you the, the background. It's, it's Passover time. It's the celebrating of the miraculous release from slavery of the Jewish people. It's the recalling not only of the ten plagues that uh, were sent against Pharaoh and his nation. It's not even just about Moses and Aaron as God's human instruments to bring about God's righteousness. It's not even about the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea on dry land uh, when the uh, Israelite nation were being pursued by the whole might and power of the uh, Egyptian army. But it was about the sacrifice required, the shedding of the blood of lambs and the smearing of blood on the doorposts and thresholds and lintels of the uh, trapped Israeli lives. Those uh, houses had that blood smeared on them to indicate that the angel of death would pass over their homes and leave them unaffected. You know that story, many of you. And now in Jesus' time, all these centuries later on, the Lamb of God, not the lambs, but the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, is celebrating Passover feast with his disciples. You'll recall that during this same feast, Jesus took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is given for you. Remember me. And during that same meal, he took the wine. This is my body which is given for you. Remember me. That atmosphere at that meal would have been electric. If only electricity had been invented then. 
but Jesus is distracted by a particularly important act of service that had been ignored and yet which was essential in all and every Jewish home at every mealtime. You needed to wash. You needed to wash your hands, you needed to wash your feet before you reclined at the table. You see, there weren't any actual tables, not like this lovely table that we've got here and chairs, despite what the artists and painters would have depicted over many years. The meal would be laid on a simple carpet rug with a very low little table on which there were all sorts of parts of the meal. And large cushions would be placed all around that. And what you did, you got right down. Stuart and I were wondering when we knelt on the floor just now whether we'd get back up again. Um, you, you, would lie, you, would, you would lie out on these big cushions. You would rest. You would rest on one shoulder, your hand, and, and then you would eat with the other hand. That's what you would do. And your sweaty, dusty, dirty, unsocked feet were on display if they hadn't been washed. It's only been a week. A week's enough. And so Jesus stands up, takes off his outer robe, wraps a towel around his waist, pours water into a basin and kneels down and washes his disciples' feet. All of them. Their feet were filthy from the dusty and polluted pathways. It would be an unpleasantly offensive thing to recline at table and have to look at somebody else's filthy feet. It would be an offence. The trouble was that Everyone knew that the task of washing feet was delegated to the lowest of the low, to the servant who was at the bottom of the pecking order. You see, if that servant was eventually promoted uh, to the next rung on the servant ladder, you were relieved of foot washing duties and you were directed to something far more pleasant. We may want to ask why no one at that mealtime noticed the lack of foot washing and why no one seemed to raise the problem. How did they not notice the water jars by the door referred to at the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine and the basins already and waiting for use? But none of us, none of us are averse to turning a blind eye Ignoring the obvious, sometimes accidentally, are we? On the eve of a revolting betrayal by his trusted disciples, with hands that flung stars into space and formed the intricacies of every molecule and atom and ligament and creature, Jesus clothed himself in a servant's towel? And wash the disciples' feet. And the indignity of it caused indignation in Peter. Or was it a supreme humiliating embarrassment whose initial shocked outburst 
of refusing to let Jesus do such a menial thing as that subsides to another embarrassing outburst demanding that Jesus washes all of him. When he had washed all their dirty, sweaty feet, he removed the servant's towel and resumed his place round the table. Sadly, it seems no one then stood up and wore a towel and washed Jesus' feet because there's no prestige in washing feet. Jesus took off his outer cloak He put a towel around him. He poured water in a basin. And he washed the disciples' feet. They're dirty sweaty, smelly, filthy, unsocked feet. And what were they doing while he was doing that? What were they doing? What were they thinking? What would you think if he came and did it to you? In one of the churches that I looked after, one of the leader, leader ladies said, we're going to wash one another's feet at house group. And sheer panic occurred at the very thought. But you know, we all went there with highly polished feet. <laughs> and we... We had an exclusion clause for those who didn't want their feet to be seen. And we washed. In fact, she washed our feet. And when she finished, she then rubbed balm into them all. And you know, to this day, there is a closeness with each of us that she did that to. I've never known in any other circumstance such a closeness. Jesus was there. Thank you. Same time next week? Probably. Jesus said, do you understand what I've done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so, because that is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, now you wash one another's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious, because a servant is not ranked above his master, 
An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it. And live a blessed life. What a challenge. Socially, emotionally, physically, spiritually. I could imagine the silent embarrassment. You could hear a pin drop. You could cut the air with a with a towel. Lord, would you cut into our embarrassing embarrassments? Would you cut into our unwillingnesses? Would you cut into the parts of us that say, well, there's no prestige in doing that. I'm not going to do that. Would you cut into us and graft into us a love of serving, a love of giving, and a love of honouring others. And as we do, as we do, would you come and join us at that moment and receive the glory. Amen.